Hello and welcome to the Imago Day podcast, the show of philosophical and theological reflections for today's world. My name is Lewis and I am joined by my co-host, my friend and my mentor, the Professor Joseph Terry. Joe, how are you today? I'm doing really well, Lewis. Thank you for that introduction. Hello, everyone. Uh, Joe, today I want to discuss with you <clears throat> suffering, its existence, its importance, and also just some like explanations and perspectives on suffering. To begin our conversation, I think what started my interest on this topic and why I want to talk to you about it is just that, one, this realization that we are kind of still in the pandemic. Um, it seems like it's not that simple, you know, that like there's still going to be many degrees of human suffering um, yeah. during this pandemic. Um, there's new challenges and issues popping up. And in addition to the suffering caused by the pandemic, there's also many other layers of human suffering that's happening um, as we speak globally, um, locally, um, just, just all around us. And so I hope by the end of this conversation that there's at least just, you know, we could dive a little deeper and just kind of understand what suffering is and yeah. some questions that you and I, and as well as the listener, uh, could be asking ourselves as we just kind of continue living our lives in some very crazy times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 2021 has <laughs> has not disappointed as far as the surprises and, and just some of the, the unique challenges. So to start us off, I wanted to read... Um, I love the introduction on, um, there's a Wikipedia page just on suffering to just get a start. And I love the way the introduction uh, just kind of frames it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to start there um, and then send it over to you and, and we'll dive into some scripture and, and some other passages as well. But this is from the Wikipedia page on suffering. <clears throat> suffering or pain in a broad sense may be an experience of unpleasantness and aversion associated with the perception of harm or threat of harm in an individual. Suffering is the basic element that makes up the negative valence of affective phenomena. Mm -hmm. The opposite of suffering is pleasure or happiness. Suffering is often categorized as physical or mental. It may come in all degrees of intensity from mild to intolerable. Factors of duration and frequency of, of occurrence usually compound that of intensity. Attitudes toward suffering may vary widely in the sufferer or other people according to how much it is regarded as avoidable or unavoidable, useful or useless, deserved or undeserved. Suffering occurs in the lives of sentient beings in numerous manners, often dramatically. As a result, many fields of human activity are concerned with some aspects of suffering. These aspects may include the nature of suffering, its processes, its origin and causes, its meaning and significance, its related personal, social, and cultural behaviors, its remedies, management, and uses. So, Joe, you know, this show is um, uh, one of, we talk about philosophy and theology, and I think both areas <clears throat> have a lot to say about suffering. It seems right, like right. humanity has just as long as humans have been around, we have always felt pain <laughs> and we're trying to understand that pain is like, why, 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 why? Yeah. Let's start like in the, the realm of philosophy and, and some discussions around suffering in that sense. Uh, what is, how would you, yeah, like just start us off in that conversation of, of just suffering in the philosophical sense. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Lewis. You know, you offered a robust definition from the wiki page, and you know, there's so many things that um, is is really being articulated um, there. And you know, philosophically speaking, there are a number of ways in which one can approach the question of suffering, assuming, of course, that suffering itself poses a question, right? And I think any reflexive individual. Uh, anybody engaged in the act of reflecting introspectively, uh, one of the questions indeed that will come up and that actually even may galvanize further questioning, <clears throat> excuse me, is the question of suffering. As you've just alluded to, right? We may ask the question, why? Why? Like, why am I suffering? And, and of course, this is really a natural question because the why is asking for the purpose, is asking for the inner reasoning, right? The rationality. What? Why is this occurring? And the reason why that is an important question that 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 comes up is because we want to eradicate the suffering. <laughs> no one wants to remain in it, right? So it's like, okay, what's the cause? Why? Um, of course, the question becomes all the more daunting and and existential when there isn't a clear, direct referent, right? My tooth is hurting. Why? Oh, okay. Uh, there's some tooth decay, or uh, there's a need for a root canal, or maybe my filling is loose, right? And so, clear, direct reference uh, with the exercise of maybe certain empirical arts, right? Some science, some some X-rays, et cetera, et cetera. But if I'm like <clears throat> suffering um, in in a certain form of intensity or repetition. I may then take a step back and ask the question, like, why am I, why is this happening to me? Like, why is this suffering occurring? And, mm-hmm. um, right, in that sense, uh, it's, it's a sort of deeper and more perennial question uh, that haunts, I would say, any reflective, uh, sentient being, right? So we can approach the question uh, in, in any number of ways. But I think starting here by just thinking about the fact that the question itself comes up, right, in light of suffering. You know, this being said, you, there was something in the definition that you read also, Lewis, uh, about something along the lines of intensities of suffering mm-hmm. or duration. And then, um, oh, there was a phrase about the opposite, right? The opposite of... Of, of suffering is pleasure, yeah. Yeah, of happiness, Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, the play on opposites is, is very interesting. And this reminds me of, of, I think this comes out of his work, Confessions, St. Augustine uh, writing, as it were, uh, an extensive prayer to God. That's essentially what Confessions is. He asks the question, why is it that uh, when the presence of suffering is substantiated, but then is removed... It allows for pleasure or uh, some degree of happiness to increase all the more, right? So Mm. I I think a clear, concrete example of this is if I say to my students, hey, guys, um, you know, we have a pop pop quiz today. Um, And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, right? Like, wait a minute. This is and then I say something about that. It's worth this amount of, you know, this many points. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's to be taken seriously. Of course, this this arrests the students. Uh, he may be even in despair. It's like, oh, my God, I'm not prepared for this. What is this? This guy yeah. is bugging out. He's throwing <laughs> a curveball here. My gosh, he's saying this. I don't even Whatever. And then I kind of like dangle them over the precipice of of <laughs> of, of a sort of uh, of their, you know, academic finitude. And then I mm-hmm. pull them back. 
over the precipice and say, you know what, guys, I decided not to do this today. Um, but it was, in a sense, a warning that this could, in fact, happen. So then all of a sudden, the exhale, oh, okay, okay. And, and there's almost like even a joy, there's an elation that, that the foretold event that was about to occur is withheld, right? And so what, what that shows us is that now the students are given a degree of pleasure or satisfaction or happiness, depending on how you construe that, um, um, which wouldn't have occurred unless I first came with the idea that I was going to give them this pop quiz. You see what I mean? So that mm. many of them were just dropped. Let, let's say if we can think of pleasure and happiness and pain in, in terms of scales, you know, they, they, there was, there was a sort of increase in pain or, or, you know, anticipation, but then it was removed and now an increase in elation and happiness. And now they are happier, let's say, or feeling higher than, mm. than, you know, hitherto it was the case, right? Um, before I announced that there was going to be a pop quiz. So, so wait, so I have a question from yeah. that example. That's a great example. Is suffering inevitable is the oh. first part of that question. And mm. the second part is like, is suffering necessary for pleasure or happiness? Like, is it possible for a human being to live an entire existence without suffering? Yeah, uh, you know, of course, you know, I think my knee-jerk reaction is no um, mm. a, a, for perhaps several reasons. One being the metaphysical reality of our contingency, of our finitude, of our effectivity that we can indeed feel. And part of what that means is experiencing uh, a whole spectrum of potential feelings, right? That including mm -hmm. also suffering. Um there are theological uh, responses to that as well that we can table for just a moment. But I don't, but that being said, right, given that we are affective creatures, right, that we have affectivity, that we have a sensorium that allows us to experience both pleasurable and noxious stimuli, that doesn't mean that we are then relegated to the fate of feeling negatively, right? So the philosophy of stoicism and other similar schools, both East and West, have wrestled with the question of suffering and how we can handle it, how we can apprehend it, or rather maybe receive it, depending on how we look at it, in a way that is beneficial and also in a way, depending on our paradigm, depending on our attitude, depending on how we approach the noxious stimuli, we can actually perhaps remove some of the sharpness of the pain, right? Not in terms of, again, the sensual, right? Um, you're putting a needle or a knife into my arm. There's a stimulus there that is, uh, in one sense, um, you know, in one sense unavoidable, right? This is going to be painful. But how I approach that pain, how I receive it, could mm. actually help me to adapt mm -hmm. to the pain, right? And if I actually see this pain as needed, for not necessarily the pain itself, but but the the procedure which is inflicting the pain is needed for a greater good, then I will submit all the more willingly to this, right? So, you know, um, and you know, I think then it becomes a matter of the psyche and 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 a philosophy of appropriation. 
Um, and again, there are different schools of thought around that. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a long way. I don't want to minimize that. There, there's a lot to be said there. You even mm-hmm. have, of course, whole religious systems, of course, famously Buddhism, which uh, inscribed in their own sort of uh, philosophical system is this recognition that, yes, life is, I think the Sanskrit word is dukkha, right? Life is a, a sort of constant yearning, right? Which essentially is some form of suffering, a thirst that's unquestion- unquenchable. Mm. Unquenchable? I didn't even unquenchable. <laughs> unquenchable, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, got it. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, that's the first noble truth in Buddhism, mm. classical mm. Buddhism. Life is this kind of suffering. And then the second noble truth is a diagnosis of this, like that this happens because of false attachments, erroneous attachments, really the idea of attachment itself. My students are suffering now the prospect of a pop quiz that may uh, negatively impact their grade. They're suffering because they are attached to the idea that they're going to do well in the class, you Mm. see. So, right, uh, we we suffer heartbreak because we were attached to this person emotionally, Mm -hmm. right, and so on and so Mm -hmm. on, right? Of course, there's something deeper at work in Buddhism. It's not just mere attachments. It's connected to the idea of this sort of persistent illusion of a self and of an ego, and there's an entire metaphysics being invoked there. Mm -hmm. But, But some of the practices are not that dissimilar to the kinds of practices we see in the West in the form of Stoicism. And in a very different way, Epicureanism as well, which is sort of a pursuit, hot pursuit of pleasure, but recognizing that there are different kinds of pleasures. So I know this is sort of a long-winded response to you, Lewis, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, there, there, there are a number of ways uh, one can approach it. And is it ever avoidable? I don't think so, at least not on this side of eternity, mm-hmm. but that would be just sort of some re- responses to that. It, it sounds like there's like a level of of embracing suffering that's needed mm. to kind of like grow and progress. Would you say that's like an accurate statement as far yeah. as like suffering and, and, and growth? Yeah, I, I, I think so, Lewis. I really do. Um, there's something about... You know, when we say growth, you know, we're speaking about it in one sense in the abstract. And I think what, what may be helpful here for us is to think of it in terms of a particular goal, right? What's the set goal or what mm-hmm. is what is valued here? So the higher the goals, the higher the values one is in, in pursuit of, the greater the difficulty typically uh, it is to achieve them and to apprehend them, right? Um, and usually in attempting to do that in attempting to arrive um, at that goal uh, or to grow here uh, in an abstract sense usually um, includes a degree of suffering right mm-hmm. so again concrete concrete examples um, I'm trying to get I'm really not but it would be ideally it would be ideal <laughs> to get uh, six-pack abs <laughs> I think right? you could do it, Joe. Thank you, thank you. Right? Some nice packs, you know, some nice traps, yeah. you know, some biceps, you know, to get the cuts, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say, you know, it's not just purely aesthetic, but also for physiological, anatomical reasons, you know, for health. Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get, I just want to arrive at a kind of physical excellence, you see. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that that's going to entail, of course, given the genetics, given my starting point, given my eating habits, given all of that there, that's going to entail some degree of discipline, of, 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 um, uh, you know, the imbibing of certain biological laws and rules. And, and so then a, 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 a kind of, um, uh, an embracing of certain yeses and nos, right? And all mm-hmm. of that entails a kind of, you know, some suffering, right? I, yeah. I want this cake. I can't have it. So I have to withhold pleasure. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, there is maybe some suffering there, but let's say now I'm in the gym and the physical trainer is really pushing me. Yeah, I'm sweating. I'm uncomfortable. I may be sore. But this is actually allowing me to achieve that goal. And the higher the goal, the greater usually, if we put this in an equation, uh, it's proportionate to the kind of pain or discomfort or displeasure or suffering one will feel. Mm. I want to get a PhD. Okay, well, that's going to be a bit more work, right? I, I mm. want to have a healthy, successful marriage. Okay, we got we to gotta work on that, right? Mm. I want to have that, right? And so the higher the goal, usually the degree of discomfort that comes with it i want to learn how to drive a car well there's a certain amount of discipline that discipline usually entails some practice which will necessarily bring about certain modes of frustration and Mm -hmm. oh man i dropped the ball again oh right and and so yeah um there is something there there's a sort of inner connection even perhaps intrinsically so between displeasure and suffering and as you i think beautifully put growth you know, growth, or as we say in our culture, growing pains, you know? Yeah, yeah. I want to turn now to Christianity's understanding and view on suffering. Uh, I feel like the core story in Christianity, mm. like the life of Christ, is one of of God suffering, God becoming man and being crucified on the cross, which is like extreme suffering. And then the call for for Christians, followers, and believers of Christ to also experience a type of suffering. Um, and to be honest, like there's some confusion and, and misunderstanding that I believe I have of like this redemptive type of suffering. Um, to begin this part of our conversation, I had um, pulled a couple of, of uh, scriptures. I want to read first from uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 to 39. This is uh, Jesus speaking, and he said, If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Um, And then I also want to turn to John chapter 16, verses 32 to 33. And by the way, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, if anybody wants to also follow along. Uh, And it reads, But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So these are from the words of Christ himself. Um, and they, to me, they both allude heavily to a kind of suffering. Yes. So Joe, what is... Um, do you have any thoughts, perspective, uh, just theologically speaking, about 
suffering within the context of Christianity? Yeah, um, I think a great way to 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 pick this up, the strand that you're bringing to us, Lewis, in this in this question, is by continuing with some of the concrete examples that I just uh, shared. So, if we go back to the idea of athletic excellence that one is seeking to achieve, one is seeking to grow into, um, that usually entails some form of coaching. And the coach, uh, let's say, let's say we are competing, right? The uh, the Summer Olympics are popping off right now in Tokyo, mm-hmm. 2021. And let's say I wanna, <laughs> I, I wanna land on on the Olympic team, right? To to compete. Mm-hmm. Well, I I can envision, I can envision the coach saying to me and to all those who are even just uh, trying to attempt to get onto the team, unless you deny yourself daily. And carry your cross, you will mm. not be worthy of me and of this mm. team. And if you try to obtain and 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 keep this life, you will lose it in the end. You won't arrive. You won't get on the team. But if you're willing to sacrifice everything, um, then you'll be able to obtain. You see. Mm. So I think mm. when we when we couch it like that and 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 sort of contextualize it, it becomes really clear in a general sense. I think. Um, what Jesus is after here. He, what is he after? He is after our growth. <laughs> mm-hmm. He is after our excellence. He is in the hot pursuit of our well-being. Now, of course, Christianity bespeaks of grace, and grace is not a destruction of nature, but builds and presupposes nature. But there's a dynamic there, and perhaps even a dialectic that we can read. So what, what am I saying here? Um while Jesus is indeed after our growth, this is not to be understood in a purely natural sense. So that is to say, he's not trying to take us from like A to Z, but rather from A to the number line, one, two, three, four, like a whole, mm, wholly totally qualitatively distinct, yeah, like realities, mm. right? So that, that of course, is a dying and a resurrection, and we're speaking of grace, right, which is something other, which comes from the very life of God, uh, which, yes, presupposes our nature, but then utterly transforms it, that it is completely something else, but yet there is a coextensiveness to our nature, right? All of these beautiful paradoxes there. So when Jesus says, yeah, if you, you know, seek to save your life, um, <laughs> you know, he's he's talking about this radical understanding of self-denial. Mm-hmm. And a self-denial, this is part of what I'm trying to say here, a self-denial that is not predicated on our strength. It's not something, even though Jesus is saying, unless you pick up the cross and follow me, um, what Jesus is not saying is that all of this is purely on you, you see. Mm-hmm. We have to, as Augustine would say, um, of course, I'm forgetting now what he says here, but I'll paraphrase something along <laughs> sure. the lines of, yeah, yeah. yeah, something along the lines of, uh, we should um, pray as if everything re- is dependent on God, but act as if everything is dependent on us, right? I don't know, something along those lines. But mm. what's interesting about that is, yes, Jesus is putting a heavy burden on us. In fact, the highest in one sense, right? He's talking about radical self-denial, even to the point of embracing the cross, which of course, again, in the culture is shame and rejection, right? The cross in that context is a lot more than what we tend to give it credence to, tend Mm -hmm. to give it credit for. Mm -hmm. But what he, but what he, 
what's also being what also is presupposed here is is that we can't do this without the grace of Christ, right? So it is God who will affect and do that work in us. But that doesn't mean that we can sit back on the pilot seat and kind of chill and just roll with it. Now, I know I'm getting a bit off topic here because the key question is suffering and what we see here from the words of our Lord himself, as I think you gave a beautiful reading indicating, is the ingredient element of suffering in the life of discipleship, you know, and in the life of Christianity, right? Um, Jesus puts his money where the mouth is, right? Where his mouth is, right? And in, in, in the sense that he himself carries the cross, right? He models this all the way to the end as you uh, beautifully articulated, God himself suffers, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, we, we would need to parse out the metaphysics there, right? And the hypostasis, the hypostatic union, but without going too deep into that, yes, 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 there's something really true about this that in fact, at the very heart of the gospel, is a suffering God, the mm-hmm. God who mm-hmm. suffers and the human being who suffers, right? This is like, this is like, what does that even mean? And mm-hmm. so, you know, we could perhaps pick it up there, but yeah, suffering is inescapable. If we understand suffering as self-denial and embrace of, of, of penance and repentance and other disciplines that mm-hmm. enact um, and, and, and sort of recapitulate, sums up what what really the grace of God is doing in our life mm. uh, and all of that there to, to, to arrive, to arrive at what Christ mm. has invited all of us to, to, to engage in. Uh, what, what you shared reminded me of another uh, beautiful verse um, in the book of Romans chapter eight, mm. verses 17 through 18. Mm. Um, this is Paul writing and he says, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just like this idea of suffering with Christ, um, that's like... Yeah, I think it's just it's just like a paradigm shift, you know, like it's just because to me I've always viewed like suffering is bad, you know, like there's just this this uh it's almost like a basic human instinct like to want to avoid suffering. Yet the call here is is radically different. I want to also just bring up a passage from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Yeah that also talks about um, suffering. And I I wanted to get your response on this, Joe. Mm -hmm. Um, So it says, quote, Moved by so much suffering, Christ not only allows himself to be touched by the sick, but he makes their miseries his own. Mm. Quote, he took our infirmities and bore our diseases, end quote. That's a reference to Matthew. Um, But he did not heal all the sick. His healings were signs of the coming of the kingdom of God. They announced a more radical healing, the victory over sin and death through his Passover. On the cross, Christ took upon himself the whole weight of evil and took away the sin of the world, of which illness is only a consequence. By his passion and death on the cross, Christ has given a new meaning to suffering. 
It can henceforth configure us to him and unite us with his redemptive passion. Yes. So, Joe, what do you, like, based off this passage <laughs> on the Catechism of the Catholic Church, like, yeah. what, what's the call? Like, what, you Oof. know, like, what is, what is it saying for, for believers in Christ? Like, Amazing. How, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, <laughs> simple answer. To mm-hmm. use suffering. <laughs> that's it to use suffering what do you mean by that yeah to offer it up in solidarity with christ to to i'm going through some pain right now to choose in prayer to say lord i offer you this pain this mm-hmm. pain um mm-hmm. in solidarity with your sacred heart um lord your heart that suffers for the sake of the world, your heart that definitively did so on the cross. But Lord, I offer this pain, I offer this suffering, I'm offering this travail, this trial, this difficulty that I'm going through for the sake of brother so-and-so, sister and so-and-so, for, mm. for these folks that I know who are going through it. May, may my pain somehow bring alleviation to them. When mm. our prayer is that, we are most like Christ. Now, I think we need to root this, right? We got to think about this in scripture and and you offered some some fascinating readings. Let me direct everyone's attention to a beautiful letter uh, written by St. Paul, right? Paul the Apostle, Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. He says something quite shocking, right? He will, and I'm reading here from the NIV version, right? Mm-hmm. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Mm. And I fill up in my flesh. Listen to this. I fill up in my flesh, in my body, what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. What? Mm. Wow. <laughs> How is Christ lacking anything, right? Mm. What is he? What is St. Paul saying here? Let me just read this in context, right? If uh, this starting at verse 23 here says, if indeed you continue in your faith, establish firm, uh, move not from the hope of the gospel, which has been proclaimed to every creature in the heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in my suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh and my body what is lacking in regard to Christ's sufferings, Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So when you sit with that, there's a lot here because, of course, mm-hmm. part of what's being uh, implied here is that somehow Jesus has lacked, like there's some lacking here. Now, what St. Paul, and this is how the church will read it, St. Paul is not saying that Christ's suffering, that Christ's affliction in the cross and all of that that in his in- incarnate life somehow lacked anything in a formal sense. It did not, mm-hmm. right? It is mm-hmm. the once and for all sa- satisfaction sacrifice all of that there right it has the his blood has the infinite power to forgive all sins period done that's the gospel but mystically the fact of the matter is is that by virtue of the the sacrament of baptism we have been engrafted into christ we are part of his body we are his body which means you and i are members of his flesh if we can go Mm. as far as to say that and so, again, there's a deep solidarity. There's a deep resonance between what we go through in time and what Christ suffered in time, but that stands for all eternity. And somehow we have before us, in our particular and petite 
existential narratives and our sufferings, the option to offer it up, again, in solidarity with the suffering of Christ and for the sake of, of the world in imitation, uh, in imitation of our Lord. Um, that is called redemptive suffering, to use suffering for the sake of others in God, mm. for the sake of others in God. And um, we see that here. I think in one sense, preeminently in Paul's writing in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, right? I fill up in my body, in my flesh, what is lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church, right? Mm. Um, so he sees himself in his apostolic ministry and particularly in his suffering as participating in the suffering of Christ, which St. Paul says in other letters as well. He actually uses that phrase participate sharing in the suffering of christ um and and he's doing that here for the sake of others right and so in this sense in time the body of christ which is his church continues and is filling up what in one sense is lacking in christ right not in a formal sense but in maybe in a temporally construed in a, in the sense of time in the fullness mm -hmm. of time right uh, the, the 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 continuation of the incarnation of Christ. So I, obviously here, folks, th this is high theology. This is implying a, a very rich metaphysics of participation, et cetera, et cetera. But to go back to it, to use our suffering. Now, practically, that doesn't mean that means choosing not to complain, choosing not to run away, or or to to engage in some intoxication so I can negate the suffering, right? To get my mind off of it. Mm -hmm. That being said, of course, there are different modes and different things for that. And this is not an invitation not to pray about asking God to perhaps remove a particular suffering you're going through, but to the degree, but and uh, if we are waiting for a response for God, in the meantime, let us use it for our growth, of course, and our discipleship. Again, go back to the analogy of getting on the Olympics team use that suffering as they say no pain no gain right <laughs> and the same is true in the, in the spiritual life especially mm. in this context of discipleship yeah wow um lastly joe I, I wanted to take a look at an extreme form of suffering um mm. i wanted to look at the the flagellants and um one if you could kind of explain the uh what that is, that movement, which yeah. did come out of Christianity. Mm -hmm. But my question is like, to me, when I, when I look at the beliefs and the practices of the flagellants, I'm, I'm like, is this the same thing? You know, like what's, <laughs> what's different about that to an outsider looking in, like this seems like, yes. like useless suffering, you know? Yes. Like, yes. So yeah. it's like, what, how, where's the distinction, you know, like mm. from the suffering that you described and mm. then, the suffering of, of a movement like the flagellants? The distinction is the, in one sense, what is occurring to us uh, in a passive sense and what we inflict on ourselves in an active sense. Both are to be done with an active engagement of the will, right? It's an act of the will to offer the suffering that we're undergoing to God for the sake of others, 
Mm. Um, that is a suffering that maybe we did not will it directly, right? Like a toothache or mm. a suffering of a painful relationship, suffering of a parent over a child, right? It's not, it's not something that I brought upon myself, but in an act of the will, I now offer this up for all those in solidarity with this pain and, and, and et cetera, et cetera there. So there's an active engagement of the will there and offering it up to God for the sake of others, but it also in the context of a life of penance where one chooses to inflict suffering on oneself in, 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 in order to engage in deeper modes of penance and repentance. Now, mm. that can be read as, a, as an attempt to try to win salvation, right? Oh, here's an example of works of the law. Right. This is oh, here is an example of somebody trying to secure their salvation. Right. Don't they realize that Christ has um, did everything that you know? Christ has done it all on the cross. You don't need mm -hmm. to inflict suffering on yourself. But of course, that's a sort of a Protestant reading of of the relationship between um, nature and grace. A Protestant reading between. God's providence and our will and willing um, in time and all of that there. Catholicism doesn't work with the Protestant either or dynamic, right? Within typical forms of Protestantism, there's a sort of either or, right? In Catholicism and in historical Christianity, it's rather, instead of an, a binary, false binary of either or, there is the both and, the both mm. and, right, which bespeaks typically of some deeper paradox at work here. Mm. And so if we read, and we'll get to the sort of flagellance, self-flagellance, and, and what is sometimes called the discipline um, mm -hmm. within the church, but if we read this, I, if we read a person's self-affliction in whatever mode it comes in as a way to share actively uh, in the suffering of Christ through penance and repentance, um, and a as a way of right offering that up as an act of the will in concert with the grace of God, and not in alienation, not in opposition, but in concert, and in fact, in response to the grace of God. Right. So it's 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 then it becomes more sensical. So now we mm. start then with grades. Right. We start with grades. Why would anyone, let's say? choose to kneel on concrete when let's say he or she prays mm -hmm. um god, god will hear them even if they just stand this is mm -hmm. true god will mm -hmm. hear right but the act of kneeling um and to do so on a hard surface without any comfort for the knees um reveals something deeper right it, it has the potency of revealing a deeper form of penance, essentially a deeper form of love, right? Because love is measured in one sense by the great distances the lover will travel for the beloved, mm. <laughs> right? We I may say, I love my wife, but if I'm not willing to wash the dishes and to take care of her car and I'm just like, ah, I'm not going to do that, right? Mm. Uh, how much can I really say? Well, she knows I love her. Yes, yes, she does, right? Even though she's not God and she doesn't have access, she doesn't have recourse to my heart, Mm -hmm. But such love, of course, is illustrated through acts of the will. This is why mm -hmm. St. James says in James, faith without works is dead. He actually mm -hmm. says it straight up in contradistinction to Luther, in contradiction to Luther, right? Mm -hmm. you, like you need work, like works. He says, okay, you have faith. Great. The demons believe and they tremble. 
That's not enough. Mm-hmm. You see, that's not enough. So works reveal the faith. So now go back to the idea of praying. I go on the knees and, and now, wow, this is okay. Oh, is this person trying to win his salvation? No, 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 no. This is in response to the great love and grace. Oh, well, now this person is staying on his knees or her knees for X amount of time. My goodness. Well, now, you see, we can increase now the grades. We can increase it. Now, it's like now we see this person choosing to skip a meal. They're mm. fasting. Why are you fasting? God loves you. God's grace is sufficient. You don't need to fast. No, 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 no. It's in the fasting. It's in the kneeling on the concrete. It's in these different modes of penance that actually allow our hearts and our bodies and our very souls to open up even more to the reception of God's grace. Mm. It's it's our participation in that. It's like widening the parameters. It's wow. conditioning ourselves to receive more of the infinite grace of God, which of course is always coming, but I'm making the 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 room and the space for more of God's love and grace to be poured into my heart here. Um, and, and it's also the will of God. It's actually, let me put it like this, this is actually the work of God, right? When St. Paul says, um, work out your salvation, this is literally, I'm quoting verbatim here, St. Paul, work out your salvation in fear and in trembling, <laughs> for it is God who is working in you. Right? He's like, wait a minute, how does that sentence work? Is it, He's telling me to work, but then is God working? Yes. Remember, it's the Catholic both and, not the mm-hmm. either or, it's both and. So there it is. And so now if we go up to sort of, that was like elementary school um, or maybe high school, right? Being on the knees on the concrete or, mm-hmm. or fasting. Now we mm-hmm. go to graduate school. Now we go to doctoral work, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now you can get into this idea of what is called a kind of white martyrdom, right? Uh, 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 or, or choosing to, I'm going to go out into the desert. I'm going to go out and choose and, and go live a hermitage, live a hermit life. Mm-hmm. I'm going to choose to thrash myself uh, against the finitude of my own existential particularity, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and say, I'm going to not eat for X amount of days and da 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 And then you can get all the way up to, to some people in the church have indeed taken the discipline where they would, self-flagellate they would actually hit their backs with a with a coarse rope or whatever to 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 enter into in a visceral and more direct way the passions of christ Mm. now in the end it comes down to the attitude of the heart because if this is done in a way to secure the love of god or to secure the grace in a way that is like like I need to do this, then mm. there's something amiss, I would say, right? That there's mm. something amiss. But if it's if this is in response to a deep, deep love, oh, well then, while it may look ridiculous and mm. self-alienating from the outside, there's something profoundly beautiful. But again, um, with regards to the discipline, I, I, I'm not sure if it still, it still happens among people, if it's... Uh, if it's still a practice or what the church has officially written about that recently or whatever the case is, but that's the logic. That's what's happening, right? So again, always try to think of these things, including suffering in the context of love, because you love your wife, Lewis, right? Mm. Uh, You would (laughs) suffer for her. You would go Mm. to the extent, Mm -hmm. right? And that's it, right? Mm -hmm. A a newborn uh, child, a parent, a new parent, 
will suffer the lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. But they do it because they love their child. They mm-hmm. love their child. They will they will go ahead for the for the care of the child mm-hmm. and to to be with the child. So that's I think how we can uh, think about it there. Thank you, Joe. I, I really appreciate this conversation because it. Uh, I think it created like a paradigm shift mm-hmm. in suffering. Like I, I know that there there is. Um, good qualities to suffering or, or good can come out of suffering. Yes. And I appreciate the examples that you said, like with um, athletic fitness. Mm. But um, I think I, I love what you said about using suffering, like within the context of Christianity and followers of Christ, using suffering, um, I think is a, a great way to kind of take something that is just prevalent in the world Yes. prevalent in our lives even just as individuals and and somehow moves us forward moves us in a in a, a better direction and, and closer to god um in a in a weird way honestly because mm-hmm. it it just seems so like in another reading on suffering could be that it's almost like counterintuitive to like embrace <laughs> yeah. suffering in this way so i appreciate i appreciate you and, and this conversation so i thank you amen you're welcome